0: we got everything ready to go, so let's get right to it. We're in Ezra chapter 7. If you can, go ahead and turn your Bibles there, or if you're using your phone, whatever you're using. We're going to spend some time in the reading of the Word. Um, As you guys know, this is our regular rhythm. This is our regular habit. It's our daily discipline that we spend 20 to 30 minutes reading through Scripture, and then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on Scripture. And it shows, just based off of our discipline together, how far we can get through. That we've gone through the entire New Testament, and now we're getting through the entire Old Testament, journeying right now through the book of Ezra. So we started in Genesis, and now we're in Ezra. And so we're gonna read, uh, we're gonna spend some time reading. We'll see where the Lord leads. Um, we may finish the book, and then I'll just share some short reflections on it, or we may just read a few chapters, and then, because I believe there's only four chapters left in this book, and then we'll see where the Lord leads. You know, we'll we'll see where the Lord leads, Um, but we're just, we're going to be led by the spirit. That's our, that's our objective today. And so we're going to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? This is a meditation. This is what this is. This is just a meditation and a discipline that we engage in together. So I love all of y'all. I'm glad to see all you guys. So let's engage now. Father, bless us today. Lord, speak to us, Lord, as we engage in your word. Lord, I pray for revelation. I pray for uh, um, guidance, leadership. I pray that you would lead us, guide us, be our shepherd today, Lord. Shepherd us in your word. Um, Give us conviction where we need conviction. Father, uh, bless us with wisdom. Guide us, order our steps. And we ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. Ezra chapter 7, verse 1, and it says this. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the, Lord had, uh, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all requests according to the hand of the Lord, his God upon him. Sorry, guys. I just flipped the page. Mm -hmm. This Ezra, verse 6, came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all requests according to the hand of the Lord, this God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month with was the 70th year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words and the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, King of Kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace and so forth. I issue a decree that all of those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm, who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you and whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your god which is in your hand and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the god of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon along with the free will offering of the people and the priests are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with the money, bull, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do it according to the will of God. Also the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your gods, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem and whatever more is needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently." Hmm. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt without prescribed a limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also, we informed you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethanim, or servants of the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges, who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Hmm. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord God of your fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and as extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes, so I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. These are the heads of their father's houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hittush, of the sons of Shechaniah, the sons of Parash, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males, of the sons of Path Moab, Elioni, the son of Zeriah. And with him, 200 males, of the sons of Shekaniah, Ben-Jazel. And with him, 300 males, and the sons of Adin, Ed, Ebed, the son of Jonathan. And with him, 50 males, of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah. And with him, 70 males, the sons of Sephathiah. Zebediah, and the son of Michael, and with him 80 males, of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jael, and with him 218 males, of the sons of Shelomith, Ben-Josephiah, and with him 160 males, of the sons of Bibiah, Zechariah, the son of Bedi- Bibiah, and with him 28 males, of the sons of Asgard, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males, of the last sons of Adonakam, Adonakam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemiah, and with them 60 males, also the sons of Bigviah, Uthai, and Zabud, and with them 70 males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days, and I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there, then I sent Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leaders, and for jo- Joarib, Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place of Casphia. Kasaphia. And I told them that they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place of Casaphia that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah, and his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Heshebiah, and with him, Jeshiah. And the sons of Merari, his son, his brothers, their sons, 20 men, also the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek him the right way for us and for our little ones and our possessions." For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him for his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and he answered our prayer. And I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Heshebiah, the 10 of the brethren with them and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into the hand 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and gold are freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel and Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord." So the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the articles by way to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Haffa on the twelfth day of the fifth month, sorry, of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, ben the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. With the number and the weight of everything, all the weight was written down at this time. The children of those who had been carried away captive who had come from captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they, and they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people, of, to the people and the house of God. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they had taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the elders and the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment in my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me, because of the trespass of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until evening service. Hmm. At the evening service, I arose from my fasting, having torn my garment and my robe. I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God. And I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face to you, oh my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty for our iniquities. We, our kings and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And now for a little while, Grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to revive us, to repair the house of God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O oh our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servant, your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the people of the lands, Hmm. with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. Goodness gracious. And after that, after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this, should we break your commandments and join in marriage with these people committing these abominations would you not be angry with us until you have had, you have you had consumed us so that there be no remnant or survivor o oh lord god of israel you are righteous for we are left as a remnant as it is this day here we are before you in our guilt though no one can stand before you because of this. Chapter 10. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trespassed against our God. We have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master, and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We are, we also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra rose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel, swear an oath that they would do according to this word. And so they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishib, And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within these days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his prosperity would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly and from from the assembly of those from captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have transgressed and have taken and wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is a season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days. Hmm. For there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter, please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges. Hmm. I'll read that again. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges in their cities. Until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from this matter, only Jonathan the son of Asile and Jehozaya the son of Tigva opposed this, and and Edshabathi, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest with certain heads of the father's houses were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name. And they sat down on the first day of the 10th month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Z- Josadak, and his brothers, Mes- Messiah, Eliezer, Jerib, Gedaliah. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flocks as their trespass offerings. Also the sons of Immer, Hanani, ha- ha- yeah, Hanani, sorry, Zebediah, of the sons of Harim, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jaya, Uzziah are the sons of Pashur, Elionai, Mersiah, Ishmael, Nathanael, Jehozabad, and Elissa. Also the Levites, Jehozabad, Shemaiah, Kaliah, the same name as Kalita, Pethi- Pethiah, Judah, and Eliezer. Also the singers, Elashib, and of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Talim, and Uri. And the others of Israel, the sons of Parash, Ramiah, Josiah, Melkiah, Majamim, Eliezer, Melchijah, Beniah, of the sons of Elam, Metaniah, Zechariah, Jael, Abdi, Jeremoth, Eliah, of the sons of Zetu, Elioni, Elishib, Eliashib, Metaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Azizah. Are the sons of Babai, Jehoanah, Ananiah, Zebai, and Ethaliah, Ethali. the sons of Bani, Meshalim, Maluk, Adiah, Jeshub, Sheel, and Ramoth, the sons of Path Boab, Adna, Chalal, Beniah, Messiah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Benui, and Manasseh, are the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Eshijah, Malachijah, Shemaiah, Shemaian, Benjamin, Maluk, Shemariah, the sons of Hash- Hashum, Matanai, Matatha, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei, the sons of Bani, Maadi, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bediah, Chalu, Vinaya, Miramoth, Eliashib, Metaniah, Metanii, Josiahi, Bani, Banui, Shimei, Shilemiah, Nathan, Adiah, Mekaniah, Dabib, uh, sorry, Mekanadabai. Dabai, goodness. Shashai, Shariah, Azareel, Shilemiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph and the sons of Nebo, Jael, Metathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jadai, Joel, and Benaiah, all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. The word of God. Um. Uh, If you are here for the first time, this is our time in the reading of the word. And we read the word and we engage with God in prayer. As we read the word, we have been doing this now for about nine months where every weekday morning, we've missed a few weeks here and there, but every weekday morning we come together here live and we spend time in the reading of the Word. Um, We've gone through the entire New Testament and now we are journeying through the Old Testament. I'm not afforded a significant amount of time, but one thing to celebrate, I guess, is that we have now finished the book of Ezra. We just completed our reading of Ezra. Um, Next week, since we're starting on Monday, again, we'll come back and we'll begin to read Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Um, You guys have journeyed with me through this. And there's a lot that you've read here. And you've got context. If you've been here from the beginning, you have context, you have context. You know a lot about the story of the children of Israel, and you know a lot about what has transpired. And I don't have the time, and I'm not afforded that time. I'm just going to be straight up honest with y'all, because um, you're eavesdropping in my engagement with God, and I'm just putting it all out there. This all bothers me. It, it bothers me. Um, the Book of Ezra, you know, this is just, I'm just gonna share where I'm at personally. But the Book of Ezra is the book that I, every time I get to it, it just bothers me. Um, and often I find myself avoiding it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, y'all, yeah, I'm here, so I'm exposed right now. And you guys are watching me process all this. I guess I will speak out loud, if you'd allow me to. I'll speak out loud. Let me just give a quick side note to this, because I think what happens in the life of a believer, um, you know, I find that many believers they don't know how to contest and contend with God. I think for many believers. We wrestle with whether or not certain things that we read in the Bible can bother us. And so we never actually address anything. We just simply move on from it. I was speaking about this last week, that we can come before God with our frustrations. We can come before God with our anger. We can come before God with our confusion. Everything in the Bible doesn't need to make sense. And there are times where what we read confound us and that's okay. We come before God with it. And I find often that there are people who feel that it's necessary to make sense of something and in the end produce a false doctrine or a false idea or a false ideology of God because they've got to make it make sense in the moment. And yet there are those of us When we understand the complexity of what it means to be in a relationship, we understand that there are mysteries that we revel in and that we rest in, and that we should be okay with that, should be all right with that. I'm wrestling, and I wrestle every time I get through this text. And I think maybe the Lord's still working some things in my heart, and he's working some things through me, even as I read it. But there are things that I'm wrestling with. First of all, I'm not gonna say that I hate how the book ends. And the reason why is because the book doesn't actually end here. Um, The book of Ezra is really, it's not a book, it's half of a book. The other half of the book is Nehemiah. And so it seems very anticlimactic, like you're left in a tension, right? You're left in a tension in Ezra and there's no sort of resolution because it's not a complete book. It's not a complete thought. It's not a complete idea. The complete book is Ezra and Nehemiah. So the conclusion of what we're reading here is is completed in Nehemiah. So I just wanna throw that out there for y'all. Because if you read Ezra and you end here, you go, well, that was it. That's not it. That was half of a book, okay? The other half of the book, we're gonna start reading on Monday. So let's start with that. However. Where we end though in this book, it bothers me, y'all. The book of Ezra ends in a mass divorce. Are y'all catching me here? The book of Ezra ends in mass divorce. That that confuses me. And that should confuse you as well. anybody who's trying to force an answer into this, I think we're just trying to rush into things when we don't realize that God is a person who's meant to, to, to force the journey in. It's like, you know, you have a spouse or a friend. You don't sit there and write them down and understand everything about them, but you can at least wrestle with things that seem to contradict. There seems to be a contradiction here. And I'll tell you where I'm at. So we're not gonna stay in this tension, but I wanna at least let you see it. There seems to be a con... Actually, there are a lot of contradictions here. There are a lot of contradictions here. Not biblical contradictions. Contradictions when you assume it from your perspective. The one is this, Ezra has called for a mass divorce that already bothers me because it doesn't represent at the surface the heart of God the scriptures tell us that God hates divorce he hates divorce and so when I read this I'm already going some wait what but but God don't you don't you hate divorce like Matter of fact, when you've permitted divorce, it's it's the last, it's the final contingency. Like there's, it's 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 the point where there are no contingencies. It's the point where it's irreparable. I mean, it's it's even even the scriptures tell us and inform us that even when it's with a non-believer, that you shouldn't immediately divorce, but you should consider God in it. <laughs> And so if God hates divorce, then how is it that Ezra has called upon? Did y'all just see what you just read at the end? You just read all the names of the men who divorced their pagan wives. That's, that's weird to me. That's weird to me. So yes, that, that bothers me a little bit. That bothers me a little bit, and I know some people are going to run to me with, but again, Ezra, who is a biblical scholar, Ezra, who is a Torah—I wanted to say a biblical scholar—Ezra, who is a scholar of the Torah, he was well versed in the law, and yes, he didn't know about the law. He knew about the law in in Deuteronomy, uh, um, 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 Deuteronomy chapter seven. He knew about the law in Deuteronomy chapter seven, where he says that they shall not intermarry with. Um, with pagan wives, the Canaanite wives. And so, he's likened these pagan women to the Canaanites in Deuteronomy. And he's saying to them, didn't God declare and decree that the children of Israel ought not to marry with the pagan wives, more specifically, the Canaanite wives? So, he sees it as an infraction of the law of God And so his response to the infraction of the law is divorce. But God hates divorce. It bothers me. It bothers me. Even to this day, I'm working through the minutia of this particular portion of text. I'm letting you know this right now. You are walking in and eavesdropping into my journey as I am looking to make sense of this, to see how Ezra administrates this mass divorce, bringing all these men up into the tabernacle, like bring all these men before the people, not the tabernacle, before the people and calling them all to divorce. Because these women we're not pure blood. You wanna know why it bothers me again? If you would allow me to, is these people were, were the same people who just came from exile. They came from exile in Babylon and it was Artaxerxes now that signed a decree to send them back to uh, Jerusalem These people were in exile. They were the minority in an exilic reality. And yet, didn't the prophet Jeremiah tell them what they ought to do when they are in exile? He told these same people, forget it. Let's get some Bible out. Let's get some Bible out. Let's get some bible out look at jeremiah i'm sorry guys i'm if you just i'm working through this y'all i'm working through this this is a little bit different but i just want to share with you guys so that way you guys don't you know you guys don't think um you know crazy or you know that isaac's going through something okay um let's look at jeremiah right um and in jeremiah i believe it's in uh Chapter 18, I believe. Um, uh, No, sorry, not chapter 18. It's in chapter 29. I want you to see this for a second, okay? Uh, Because I, you know, we're talking about the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote to the captives. I know I'm going ahead of myself, but I just want you to see where I'm at. Because again, remember, this isn't. Remember the, the the Bible isn't uh, from here on out. There isn't a uh, what's the word I want to use. Um, uh, there isn't a chronology here. Okay, um, from now you're going to see the later books. They're kind of in different points in the story that we've d- been reading from Genesis to um, to now Ezra. Okay, and in between that story are is the captivity, right? When Israel has been found. Uh, in captivity, Israel uh, is subject to the captivity of the Babylonians. And then of course, the Babylonians and the Syrians and the Assyrians and all. But, but again, they find themselves captive. And when they find themselves captive in Babylon, subject to captivity, this is what, in Jeremiah chapter 29, this is what the prophet Jeremiah says to them. Uh, I'm, I'm, in, in chapter 29, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. All right. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's look here. It says, "Now these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon." That's the stuff we've been reading about. Okay, that's the stuff we've been reading about. Just to make sure you guys know where we're at. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother. The eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. You guys remember all that because you guys have been reading with us. We read about all this already. Okay? The letter was sent by the hand of Elessa, the son of Sephon, of Gamara, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah the king of Judah had sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look what he says that they ought to do in Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives And beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace but thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel do not let your prophets or diviners who are in your in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which you have which you cause to be dreamed for they prophesy falsely in you in my name i have not sent them says the lord When they're in captivity, they're being told to seek the prosperity of the pagan. And he says, and seek the peace of the city. The word peace there is prosperity. Seek the peace of the city. For in the city's peace, you will have peace. Meaning, seek the city's prosperity. For in the city's prosperity, you will have prosperity. Meaning, if the pagans prosper, you prosper. Infiltrate. Seek the city's prosperity. Now, I'm not saying here and this is just you know things that I'm wrestling through things that I'm working through okay um I'm not here as a final authority on this because again I'll tell you when I speak with you know clear understanding and clear authority there are many debates about this because again this is this doesn't specify to to marry uh um, to marry the, the Babylonians, it doesn't specify to marry um, the, the surrounding nations, but simply to multiply and to grow in that captivity, in that captive reality. But it does very clearly say to seek the prosperity of the city, to seek the peace of the city, to seek the prosperity of the pagan. He's telling them that. And I think that speaks into the posture of the church. That for many of us, we sometimes, we, we, we live in a reality often where we are simply, uh, we, you know, we live in a reality where we are in the world, but we're not of the world, but we're not in the world. Like, we're not in the world. We're, we're completely separate from the world. And so we live in this little bubble yeah, we we live in the Christian bubble where we have our own little Christian groups and our own Christian stores and our own Christian. So we live in this this little this little bubble. And then in that little bubble, we just kind of do our thing in that bubble. We have our exchanges in that bubble. We live our lives in that bubble. But do we ever seek the prosperity of the city? Right? In the same way that we live in an exilic reality, the way we live in that exilic reality, is to actually seek the prosperity of the city. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It doesn't matter if they're pagan or not. We ought to seek the prosperity of the city. For if the city prospers, you prosper. That's Jeremiah 29. And yet for many of us, we seek simply the prosperity of Christianity, but do we seek the prosperity of the city? True gospel work is when we truly desire for our cities to thrive and for our cities to prosper. That ain't us. That ain't us. No, 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 no. We we completely separate. We don't understand what exilic realities look like. These people just came from that exilic reality and they go from exile to now superimposing a formula of exile. I'm wrestling family because I understand what the text says. And I understand what the text asked and commanded, but understand as well that among them, and I, I don't know how many times I need to iterate this over and over again, but we've read this all throughout, all th- as we've been, as we've been, um, as as we've been reading through Leviticus and particularly in Numbers, but we read it also in, in Exodus of Canaanites who came and what's the word? acclimated themselves. Man, what's going on with me today? Who came and acclimated themselves into uh, the culture of the children of Israel. And they were told to, to, to consider them among them. They were among them. As a matter of fact, among the lineage are those who were Canaanites. On the lineage of Christ were those who were Canaanites. Uh, uh, and so, and so I'm, re- I'm, I'm wrestling through this, because this is not simply about pure blood. I'm wrestling through this because this wasn't about DNA. This wasn't about DNA. Zipporah, Moses' wife, whom Moses wrote the law, was a Canaanite. This wasn't about blood. This wasn't about DNA. This wasn't about race by DNA. This was about a race by faith. It was a race by faith. And I'm wrestling through this. Because how many examples have we seen of men of God who married Canaanite women all throughout? the? We've been reading through this. So, this wasn't about the Canaanites. This was about what they worshiped. This was about who their gods were. This is about who they served. And this is the clarity that I don't have in this text. I don't have this clarity. It was about who they served, how they worshiped, because remember, we talked about this. We talked about the whole issue with Israel, that that Israel had an issue of acclimating to Canaanite culture. They worshiped what the Canaanites worshiped. That was the issue. The issue with the kings was who they worshiped. It was who their gods were. God who was a jealous God, God who sought after his justice, his righteousness. God was, this was not about DNA. But this was about faith. This was about faith. And what I'm wrestling with here is the means by which we see that the teacher Ezra administrates this. I'm I'm reading this and and, and, and the chapter just closes with, with a mass divorce. I mean, we've been to massive marriage, but we see a mass divorce, and yet there's so many questions. There's so many questions here. I, I'm not here. I know there are plenty of people who want to rush into these theological conclusions, but guys, there's so many questions. And ready for this? Whenever you see any inconsistency, It's in the brokenness of humanity. It's in the man, not in God. And often what we do is we take the actions of men. Let me say that again. Whenever you see inconsistencies in the Bible, those inconsistencies, and there are no inconsistencies at the end of the day, but what seem to be inconsistencies have everything to do with humanity not god not god but often we see in the bible the things that men say and conclusions that men make and we don't create that degree of separation in reading it and so we make a conclusion that because he did this then it must be permitted by god that is the mistake that we make when we read scripture not realizing that there's still a human in this story inconsistencies. That's why Paul can tell Timothy, right? Paul tells one to get circumcised, but then Paul tells the others, well, it's not the circumcision of the heart, the circumcision of the flesh. It isn't that God changed. It's the problem of humanity. We see one approach with one person, another approach with another person because the issue is humanity. It's not God. So when I look at this, what I'm examining is what's going on with Ezra? What's going on with Ezra? What's up with that? What's up with that Ezra? Because Ezra, you have the law, but are you administrating the law in love? I'm sorry, y'all, if you, if you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm bothered because I, this is not an exercise of the mind. Fam, I wanna make sure you understand this. When we do these reading rants, it's not an exercise of the mind. I can sit there, I can do the mental gymnastics with you. I can do the theological gymnastics. I can sit and make sense of all this. I can give you a really nice argument, and yet at the end of the day, do I really understand the heart of God? Where is God leading us here? What is God telling us? What is God actually revealing to us? This is not for me to make sense on an intellectual level. This is for me to get to know deeper who God is and what God intends. And everything in my soul says, hold on, something here isn't right. I don't need to make sense of it, but something here isn't right. And yet, isn't that the reality of humanity? That when we look, there's a fracture. Something isn't right. Something isn't right here. For this whole list of men to come before uh, uh before all the people and to and to to perform this mass divorce and to send these women away. Something isn't right here. I don't have all the answers because if these women were worshiping their pagan gods, oh yeah, we know how God deals with that. And these women were performing their Canaanite sacrifices, then yeah, but the scripture, tell, the scripture doesn't even tell us if they're Canaanites. The scriptures don't even tell us if they're Canaanites. We are the ones who make that assumption. All we know is that they didn't come from the captivity. Meaning some of them among this group could have been people who simply remained in Israel when Israel was taken away to Canaan? I mean, sorry, to Babylon. We actually don't know. We're the ones who impose that. When I've I've heard theological uh, uh, debates on this, well, you know, these pagan, these, these 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 Canaanite women. It's it's we can we can presume and we can conclude that these. No, you can't. The Bible doesn't tell us that. They were not Canaanites. There's no assurance of that. All we know is that they were pagan. All we know is that they've been concluded to be pagan. Among them could have been those who were faithfully serving God. We don't know. Okay, <laughs> don't run into the, I'm sorry. I know I, I, I did a, like a sort of quasi bootleg Bible study of this text, but this is the quasi bootleg Bible study of it is that for those who rush into those conclusions, you need, we need to check our heart. We don't have those conclusions and we don't have those answers. And for me today, that's okay. I know this much. I know this much this is not how God intended it whether it was these men worshiping these pagan women who were serving pagan gods or whether these men were worshiping pagan women I mean uh married pagan women who had converted to their faith and yet simply because they were pagan they were taken away something isn't right and even though we don't have the answer what we know is this ain't it This ain't it. And it's unfortunate that we end here. But there's something here to take hope in is that oh, marriage is important to God. So I'm going to leave you with one word and then we're done. Because I'm, I'm, you can tell that I'm going to be wrestling with this all day today because I'm still working through this. I'm going to be wrestling and just wrestling with it. Because I know what, I've heard all the answers. I've heard all the arguments on this text. I've heard all of it, okay? That's probably why people don't preach Ezra much because there's so many different positions on this. We don't need to have any position on this. The goal is not to know everything that's going on here. The goal is to make sense of the heart and the character of God. And if there's anything that I'm asking today, and anything that's clear to me from this text, as much as I've had so many things unclear, the one thing that is profoundly clear to me in this text is that marriage is important to God. (laughs) Let me say that again. Marriage. Marriage is important to God. And marriage is bigger than just you getting married with somebody that you like or somebody that you love and somebody that you have commonalities with. Whether or not you're getting married so you can pool your finances and your resources together. Whether or not getting married helps establish you and establish your family Marriage, those are not the reasons why we ought to get married. No, Christian marriage should be rooted in the heart and the character of God. Marriage is way bigger than us. Marriage is actually not about how you feel. Marriage is not about, um, you know, whether you like it or not, whether it brings you joy or not. Marriage can be pleasant, but marriage can be Painful. But one thing that is very clear is that marriage is important to God because what marriage does is is that marriage reveals to you and to everyone around you what God is like to his people. It shouldn't be confusing to you that God refers to his people his church the fullness of Christ as his bride and that Christ being the bridegroom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so when we see these images of marriage, we have to understand that marriage is not about you. It's all about Christ. And for this text And what I get from this text is that marriage matters to God. It matters to Him. So if marriage matters to God, why then do we see so much pain in divorce? I'm sorry, I'm going way over time. I got a meeting, but I just have to get this out. Just let me get this out, please, family. Because... We, we talk about divorce and how much it hurts and how much pain it produces. And there's some of us here who have gone through divorces. There are those of us here who have gone through divorces and divorces are painful, they hurt. They affect families, they affect lineages, they affect kids, they affect... Divorces have a ripple effect that goes from generation to generation to generation. And yeah, people talk about how, well, God permits divorce. In the Bible, there, there are um, conditions in which God permits divorce. And I get it. I get that. I get that. I get that. But don't get it twisted. God hates divorce because divorce is way bigger than just you breaking up with your husband. Divorce has everything to do with a fracture between the relationship of God and his people because marriage represents the relationship between God and his people, Marriage is a symbol. It is a sign that points to God in the heart of God. So yes, the reason why it hurts is because, yeah, you feel that brokenness, but you imagine it hurts so much more to God. And when we marry with people who we ought not to marry and we marry out of, not out of covenant with God, but out of simply our own desire and pleasure when that's why we marry and that's why we come together that we don't realize how much of an offense that is to God. Y'all hear me on that? When we marry simply so we can be a power couple, when we marry because I love her or when we marry because I love him and that's just the primary reason by, by, by which we marry. If that's, if that's the reason why we get married, do you understand how offensive that is to God because marriage is way bigger than that. Marriage was never about you. It was never about your desire. It was, no, it was about something greater, something bigger. It was about God and his people and yet we've made it about ourselves. And so, yeah, if you marry somebody simply because you love them and because you like them and because it just makes convenient sense for us to get married, think about what that means to God. the consummation of marriage and i'm done i'm done y'all the consummation of marriage can be found on the cross the scriptures say oh i'm going to i'm going to share one last revelation and i'm done i'm done marriage was consummated on the cross it was consummated when jesus died on the cross. Jesus is on the cross and he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He looks down and he sees John and he tells the beloved disciple, send mom home. And yet that is the image of marriage because a man shall leave his mother and father and be cleaved to his wife. God, the father, had turned his back on him. His mother was sent away. And here at the cross, we see consummation. God and his people being joined together by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Marriage matters to God. Marriage matters to God. And so you have to understand why this bothers me so much. When I see a book ending with a mass divorce. Because if marriage matters that much to God, then how do you believe that divorces and what it feels like to God? And yet even in all of that, while sin divorced us, the cross brought us back together. We're consummated by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And that's the one hope I have. As much as I'm bothering, as much as I'm working through this, as much as I'm making sense of this, because I'm still making sense of it, y'all. I don't don't wrestle without hope. I don't wrestle without hope. I'm sorry if I went over time, y'all. I'm sorry if I took longer. I know we started late. And so I just, I had to get that out. I had to get that out. But I'm still hopeful because I know what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Marriage. (laughs) Um, Even Song of Songs, when we talk about Song of Songs, usually when we read Song of Songs, we read it, you know, it's a sexual, sensual book. That's what everybody thinks, right? It's a sensual book. It's all sexual. It's just, you know, a man and a woman. And we don't realize that the book of Song of Songs is actually not as sexual as we make it. It's it's got sexual references. But the book of Song of Songs is actually about the consummation of God and his people. It's it's an image of Christ in the church. It's a foreshadow. It's a pointing to Christ in the church. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get to Song of Songs. (laughs) God bless you guys. I love y'all. I will see you guys on Monday. I won't be here on Thursday, but I'll see you on Monday. Um, Let's pray and let's close out. Father, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you give us a place to wrestle. God, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not here as any kind of expert at all. (laughs) I'm just a son. I'm just your son, and I'm working through this, Father. So help me. Uh, Father, help me. Help me make sense of this because, I, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working. Still working on this one. So thanks for bringing me back here and thanks for making me uncomfortable again. Thanks for allowing me to uh, come before you even in my discomfort and my frustration and my confusion Lord, that even then there's some things that you have made profoundly clear to me. And I thank you for that, that you made clear to us all. And so let us know your heart. Let us know your heart. Let us be led by your heart. Let us receive your heart. Let your spirit testify to our spirit. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.